0: Listener production. Please leave your message after the tone. Why am I jealous of my ex? I am so
1: stressed all the time.
0: How do I get into a routine? Is TikTok making me
1: anxious? I think I'm being manipulated. Someone told me you could live with half a brain.
0: This is Do You Fucking Mind? Mindset Hacks for a Badass Life. Hosted by me, Alexis Fernandez. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the podcast episode of today. I am so excited for today's episode because I have an amazing guest. His name is John Kim. His podcast is The Angry Therapist Podcast. It's so good if you haven't checked it out. But first, obviously, listen to this episode. Listen to what he has to say. He's unbelievable. Welcome to the podcast, John.
1: Thank you for having me so much. Before the podcast, we were just talking about our uh, love for motorcycles. And Mm. it's so interesting that when you have a common bond with someone, like, for example, you get why you ride a motorcycle, I get it, and suddenly I feel like I know you better just because of that activity, you know? Yes,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's incredible, it's, I feel like there's, like, the, the reason you ride and why I ride, I actually need to service my motorcycle so I can start riding it more, but... <laughs> But it is, it's like this meditative state that you get into. Yeah. And for any other rider listening, it's like, if you, you know what we're talking about. But it is, it's really cool. And I was listening to one of your episodes just the other day, and you were talking about riding your motorcycle. And I was just like, I love that we've got that another layer of things in common. So it's really cool.
1: Yeah. And I discovered it, we'll get into it, but I discovered oh. it after my divorce. That's when I, um that's when I kind of uh, started writing. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So we, I actually just got interviewed on John's podcast, just literally like, 30 minutes ago. And we really were diving deep into kind of, yes, breakups, but going through a, a big life change or something that's, you know, really difficult to go through and how it is that each person processes it and comes out the other end. And I think for a lot of people, it's a lot of a much longer journey than they would like. Mm. A lot of people mm. sometimes are currently in a position where they can't see the light at the end of the tunnel. So I think it's really yeah. good to have these conversations and to talk about people's personal experiences, especially with you because you're a therapist, is like on top of everything. So the way that you could share your knowledge around this topic would be really great. But John's gone through a divorce and he's gone through this – So many changes and evolutions within that time since the divorce. So I thought it'd be really cool to get you on to talk about how you got to where you are now from where you were.
1: Yeah, married at 29, grew up in Los Angeles, and um, was uh, like many people sold on this idea of Happily Ever After. So I was running toward the picket fence. Um, she was an actress, beautiful. She was my, you know, I put her on a pedestal. She was my, she was the kind of person that you you say, um, oh, they're out of my league, right? Yeah. I don't believe in that anymore, but like Neither, that whole thing. Neither, but
0: yes, I know exactly what you mean, yeah.
1: And uh, yeah, and I thought we'd get married, have kids, you know, happily ever after. And then I realized, um, nope. <laughs> so after five years, she wanted a separation and then eventually divorce. And, you know, the thing about love is, especially young love, when you're young, chemistry or loving someone as hard as you can isn't enough, right? Uh, You Mm. need tools you need capacity. And at that age, I mean, I didn't have anything. I I was reactive. I was angry. uh, Hence my angry therapist. Um, I had no sense of self. Um, I was just trying to sell screenplays. So I could, you know, um, buy the house in the hills and be mm-hmm. quote unquote successful. Um, the Range Rover Porsche, right? That kind of thing. Yeah. And um, none of it happened. So I, I was a, I was a miserable fuck, uh, which yeah. is the title of one of my books. <laughs> the divorce chopped me at the legs. She had just booked a TV series and I had nothing. Um, so we left and I agreed that, that was I wasn't going to take anything from her. I knew in that moment that if I had fought for anything because we're technically still married Mm -hmm. that I would I knew somehow it would be tied to who I was going to be and Mm. proud of myself that I didn't take anything if that makes sense. And so I took nothing except my pillow, (laughs) got on Craigslist, found a roommate. Wow. And that's where it all started. Yeah.
0: Okay. So before you continue, because this is hectic, did you see it coming? Is it was it semi mutual of a decision? Did you want to stay in the relationship?
1: I wanted to stay. I was madly in love. I didn't see it coming. I knew she wasn't happy. She was also blowing up as an actress. Mm. And so, you know, you had me who was uh, wearing the dishwashing gloves, depressed, no sense of self, you know, picking up Mm. dog shit, doing the dishes. And she was on movie sets and working with, you know, A-list celebrities. And so she was experiencing a life that she never knew existed and I was in the gutter and so I think we just drifted and I think her eyes widened realized oh my god there is so much more and I I think she was kind of growing in that sense Mm -hmm. as you become successful I think especially um in LA and Hollywood and all that and all the the shiny things um who wants to come home from that fantasy to you know a young boy who's reactive and unhappy in his life right and so um, I'm trying to take ownership. I think that was a, a big part of it. Yeah. And then so I was cut at the knees and I said, you know what? The screenwriting isn't working for me. What else do I want to do? I was talking to my own therapist and he's like, well, well what do you want to do with your life if you can't write screenplays? And I said, I want to do what you're doing. Mm. And then he was like, well, go back to school. And I was like, fuck that. I hate school. I'm 35 years old. There's no way I'm going back to school. I thought you needed a PhD. Mm. He's like, you just need a master's. And so, I, so next thing you know, I'm in school. What he didn't tell me, and I don't know if you had to to do this for any of the, uh, your stuff, but after my master's, you needed 3,000 hours mm. to become a licensed therapist. And that took me six years.
0: <laughs> 3,000 hours. Yeah, because I don't yeah. do any any like therapy in a clinical setting. So, no, I've never... Oh, right, yeah. right,
1: right. Because yeah. I know you got a master's as well. And you got a master's in neuroscience, right? Mm. Mm.
0: That yeah. is... Wild. I had no idea. I mean, I guess it makes yeah. sense that you need a lot of hours. So the master's
1: but- <laughs> is two years. Uh, yeah, I think I think your master's is probably two years or so. And mm-hmm. then um, I took a year off, but then it took me uh, another five or six hours to get the 3,000 hours yep. and then take the big exam. So it was a long journey.
0: Long journey. Okay. So you started studying again. This is you're in still the depths of your heartbreak. How did that look like? Because it's still a long time for weight to get to where you had decided you wanted to be. Oh yeah. What was that like?
1: It was kind of a vine though, because I had somewhere to go, mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? So I had to get up every day. This is, you know, before Zoom, before the pandemic, this is uh, I think 2010, I, I had to go somewhere. So I had to get in my car and go. And even though I was heartbroken and unhappy, it gave me some kind of structure in my life. Um, I had no friends, I had no money. And I was just living with a roommate um, who I found on Craigslist. But I had a place to go every day, which was school. And, of course, you know, if you're getting your master's in psychology, it's going to require you to look inward. And so that was kind of the first domino in me forcing myself to look at myself.
0: Yeah, 100%. And I feel it's we kind of touched on this in the episode we did. But having something to go to or to do every single day, I personally found that it massively helped me when I was going through a heartbreak doing again doing my masters it was like that one thing that I'd wake up and be like well I have to be here I ha- mm-hmm. I can't just lounge around I have to do this thing and it changes your mental state cuz you physically are, are taking yourself there
1: yeah and you know the other common thing that we had was you went to Paris I went to Italy now you went to Paris as a huge life transition I'm going there with a one way ticket I just went to Italy for 2 weeks just to get out because I've never traveled before Um, but yeah, that was a very magical experience. And I told myself, okay, now that I'm divorced, I'm going to go somewhere and I'm going to do something that I've always wanted that no partner ever allowed me to do. And that is by a motorcycle. And that's when the motorcycle came in. I love that. (laughs) So (laughs) that
0: would have felt so liberating. And I feel like that would have felt like this to me is a line in the sand from the old mm. version and the new version.
1: Yeah, that's interesting uh, because these are things that would, I, I don't know if it's a line in the sand for me uh, because I I still was on the journey of you know knowing myself and, mm. and, and building self-worth. If it was a line, it wasn't in the sand. It was on a chalkboard on, <laughs> with chalk. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't Sharpie. It wasn't paint. You know what I'm yeah, talking about? Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. Was it, yeah. it was smeared. I kind of knew. And so there were two things I did for me and no one else. And I think that's why it was important, right? Mm. So going to Italy with one friend and, you know, sitting in front of the, standing in front of David and, David and crying and checking out different culture and food and then coming home and saying, you know what, I want to buy a motorcycle. It's just for me,
0: you know? Yeah. Yeah, and I think it's it's cool doing that because especially with the motorcycle, you're on it alone. It literally is just for you. Mm-hmm. You're doing something that yes. really yes. it's just it only directly impacts you. And I say that to people when they're going through something difficult. What can you do for yourself that's literally just for yourself? Like it's cool to do things with your friends and it's it's great, but what's something that's completely personal that is just for you so you feel like I did this for mm. me?
1: And it's also the action of doing it, even if you feel, you know, guilty or, oh, I shouldn't, or it's too much money or it's too dangerous. But if you just actually do it, then I think in the actual practice, in this case, riding a motorcycle, you will start to sit in your self-worth and that you deserve this. And then you could, you know, fall in love with it. You could enjoy it and give yourself permission to do something that you didn't give yourself permission for before,
0: you know? So when you went through the the initial breakup, how long do you think it took you for you to have this situation where you're like, I'm leaving with a pillow. I'm moving in with someone on Craigslist. (laughs) I have nothing to my name right now to actually feeling like I'm genuinely happy that this is now my life.
1: Mm. Oh my God, a long time. Uh, I left thinking it was just going to be a separation. She didn't have the courage to call it a divorce. She said, We'll separate, give it another try. And listen, you know, maybe we'll get married again, kind of thing. Mm. I've never given her anything. So I thought, okay, here's my first chance to be a hero, to be a man, to step up and without any questions, give her space because that's what she's asking for. So I found a roommate on Craigslist Mm. thinking I would be back with her in a few weeks and she just wanted some space. And then of course, you know, (laughs) before I could even enter the roommate situation, you know, just like, uh, actually, can we just get a divorce? I was like, okay. Um, Yeah.
0: God, that would have been hard. But yeah,
1: but that's, that's, that's what happened. And then, um, how long did it take? Well, uh, many years. Uh, it took me finding I ended up in non profit uh, because that's that's it was a good way to get hours, mm-hmm. and the universe threw me into non profit working with teenage addicts. And so, mm. there was a lot of resistance where you know I thought a therapist was like fancy office with the lattes and the mm-hmm. uh, Rico Free pants. You know, I, <laughs> yeah. I, I just like, oh, if I could just have my own office and I look really professional, make six <laughs> figures, that's the life for me. And the universe threw me a nonprofit where I was wearing a uniform and taking, you know, addiction uh, at, at kid's uh, grocery shopping and Yay. playing basketball and working out with them. And I was like, there's a part of me that was like, I have a fucking master's and I'm doing this shit. And I was, I was so angry. But... That was the the place where I grew the most. That's Mm. where um, I fell in love with these kids and I learned how to run groups and the reps of running through three groups a week, uh, three groups a day for five years there um, trained me to actually become a therapist more so than any textbook or anything else.
0: Wow. I had no idea you did that. That's really cool. So you did that. You're doing this. You're like, I fucking have a master's. Can't believe I've got to be here. Obviously, you learned to like, you know. Adapt to it and evolve with that. Mm-hmm. Is that mm-hmm. when you started really being like, okay, this is going to be. This is. Did you know straight away that it was what you wanted? Because obviously there was a bit of resistance to the work you had to do, all the hours you had to put in. Were you always like, yes, this is still me?
1: No, it didn't feel like me. Um, I thought I was in treatment. Uh, I, I, I also was very lonely, and so. I was, this was when blogs were big. So I decided to start a blog. And my friend said, Hey, there's this thing called Tumblr. You should just start on there. And so I created a blog and I called it The Angry Therapist. I thought it was kind of funny that a therapist was angry. (laughs) I love it. And I just started, yeah, it was just a journal, a personal journal that I just hit post on every day. I didn't think anyone would read it. And then that caught on. And this was before social media, Mm. before Instagram, before Facebook. And, um, I think I was, I don't know. I got like 60 or 100,000 followers on that. Wow. Yeah. And so back in the day, that was like a big deal. That's and then, a big um, deal, yeah. And then I realized other people were going through broken hearts. And so it went from me blogging to getting emails. And I'm sure you get tons of emails mm. and then them wanting help. So I started doing sessions and I started, so then I got on my motorcycle. And I started meeting people at coffee shops wow. under the umbrella of coaching. And because as a therapist, you're not supposed to, you know, do that. Uh, so I said, okay, well, fuck it. I'm a coach. And uh, I, I went on walks around this lake in, in Silver Lake in, in uh, LA. I met him at coffee shops. And that's when I found my cape. So that's when I was like, oh, this makes me feel alive. So the 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 nonprofit was medicine for me. It mm-hmm. was treatment. It was needed. But I kind of felt like Clark Kent pushing a mail cart, right? And then when I went home and I started blogging and started meeting people in coffee shops and really started working with people in kind of unconventional ways... I felt like um Superman. I felt like I was, okay, this is my strength, you know?
0: This is this is what I love. I love this about your story because I think a lot of people think I need to identify what I want, and then when I start doing it, it's it, it's it, and I love it and it's done. But so often for me, for you, for a lot of people that I speak to, it's this as you're you're growing, growing, working towards something, working, it's pleasant, it's unpleasant, you have to do it, you don't and it's you're going through it and then because of all that work, something clicks and then you think, I, you would have never started that Tumblr had you not done all this yeah. work prior. You yeah. would have never started yeah. these walking meetings of no. people had this not no. happened. So you, it could have never manifested into what it is now if you haven't hadn't done that.
1: Yes, and that's proof that a lot of times things are happening that we're not aware of or that we want to happen and then... Things are happening under our nose mm. and then we connect dots and we're like oh this is what it is you know what i'm saying because my idea of a therapist was like the khakis the silver balls an office but to me that would be torture mm. uh, but back then i thought that's that's being professional and then what really happened was me getting on my motorcycle jeans t-shirt and meeting someone at a, at a coffee shop so um, very very two different things but if it wasn't for a blog I'd have went down that road of the um, classic therapist and I think I would have been really unhappy.
0: I would love to hear what your advice would be to somebody who has just gone through a breakup yes. and is kind of – In the position that I was, in the position that you were, who they had no Mm -hmm. control over it, they feel powerless in the situation, but they know that there's no way they can get back, like it's a done deal. What is your advice in those initial stages of desperation and powerlessness?
1: Yeah. Um, I think the first thing, the first step for me was a reframe. So I wasn't going through a breakup. It, my marriage has expired. So there's so much acceptance when you realize or believe it's a choice that it wasn't supposed to go a day further or end the day sooner that like milk, it has expired. Now for many people that, that may sound ridiculous and may make not make sense. But for me, I, I had to believe that there was something greater happening and that wasn't meant to be forever and so that that played itself out that has expired so that was step 1 is that kind of reframe and then of course step 2 cutting the cord creating a healthy distance mm. you know i was very lucky cuz i didn't have the strength to but she drew the line in the sand right yeah. she drew the with sharpie not chalk and <laughs> so that Permanent. that forced me to move on now, if she didn't draw those lines, and this happens a lot in breakups, I would we'd be round two. I would be, you know, like we, it would just be like peeling scabs, yeah. multiple rounds, and eventually same conclusion. It's just more pain dragged out, right? Mm. And so, creating a healthy distance if you know that that this is over and that relationship has expired. Cutting the cord. So not following social media, not emailing, not going on coffee dates. I think also a lot of people they think they could be friends mm. faster than they like they just kid themselves, you know? Yeah. And I always say, like, if you can't go on a double date and be really happy that your ex is with this new person and it's lovely, if you, you can't do that, you, what what kind of friend are you gonna be?
0: That's you know? so true because I always say, Yeah, of course it's possible to be friends with your ex, but there can't be one party that is still in love yeah. with this person. It's That would yes. be so painful yes. to have that friendship.
1: Right, right. And then I think then now we're doing the, the, the next step is a life audit because uh, the breakup, I think, uh, creates the richest soil for growth. Mm. But the other misconception is that growth can calcify. So if you wait four years, that soil isn't going to be as rich as if you just – start grieving and going through your journey now. Mm. And so what I mean by a life audit is now let's examine your entire life, right? So your friendships, uh, your career. I mean, it's, it's it, you know, with a breakup, it's such a great time to kind of reevaluate everything instead of just jumping into another relationship.
0: Oh, yeah, 100%. I'd lo- I love what you said about calcifying. If you wait mm-hmm. too long, can you go deeper into yes. that?
1: I think a lot of people after a breakup, Because they're alone, they want to jump on the the next lily pad. They want to um, get into another relationship as fast as they can. So they're suddenly on apps, they're swiping, they're trying to connect. And if you do that, the growth that you could have had from examining the black box, from looking at what happened, taking ownership, all that stuff that takes time, that kind of disappears because now you're in another relationship and you're loving someone else and you're bringing all your unhealthy patterns and who you were into this next one. And so that growth, that opportunity to grow has calcified. You know what I'm
0: saying? Yeah, 100%. I totally get that. And I feel like a lot of people, they miss an opportunity to be the source of their own healing or the source of their own happiness. And they end up because you're heartbroken and you're desperate for this distraction instead of going inward and doing the hard work they see someone else and they think, oh, but I'm so excited. I'm happy now. I'm happy this person's, oh, you know, they they've, they came into my life at the right time or which at times works for some people, but I think for a lot of people you've missed this opportunity. You're thinking that they're the source of your happiness when in reality they've just distracted you from the pain. And then these issues will likely arise again, but later once the honeymoon phase has kind of relaxed. Yes.
1: I mean, you know, with your story, didn't you um – End something, or someone ended something, and then within two weeks later, someone was engaged. Yeah,
0: yeah. One of my exes after the, like the second yeah. big breakup. Yeah, they're engaged.
1: Yeah. So yeah. like two weeks is not enough to grieve a relationship, <laughs> and right? so that's a yeah. great example of someone just jumping from this to something else mm. way too fast. I think. Yeah. And uh, I don't know how they are now, but I don't know uh, either. I think but, he You know,
0: all the best.
1: <laughs> yeah, but all the best. <laughs> yeah. Uh But but missing the opportunity to reflect and grow and. And own some stuff for yourself, you know. Oh,
0: totally, yeah. totally. And I feel like there's a difference between pain and suffering. And I think with pain, that's the stuff that is inevitable, and that's the stuff you should look at. And the same as grieving, you know, when when if if you if you have a loss, whether it's in a relationship or a person or any kind of grieving, I think you should give those emotions attention. I think it's important to feel those things. But suffering. You're just pulling yourself back into that hole, back into that hole again and again and again. Yeah, and it's a choice. Yeah.
1: Yes, yes. It's like the difference between a fixed mindset and a growth mindset. It's a difference between being in victim mode. Oh, massively. You know, Can you talk not? about
0: that? Because I know you, you have spoken about that before, being in victim mode. Yeah,
1: I think. Hmm. Um. And, and listen, we are victims in the world, meaning there are things that happen to us that are beyond our control. You know, there's accidents. I don't know. We get eaten by tigers. Uh, <laughs> people cheat on us. There are things that happen, yeah. right? But the mindset, if like, for example, there was infidelity and then your programming is just, oh, someone did me bad. Someone cheated on me. It's going to be very hard to go back and take ownership for Mm. anything. And so it's hard to really not let you create your own prison, you know? Uh, And and, and then also there it's lined with some resentment, anger. You have a chip on your shoulder. And so like, who are you going to attract? You know? Yeah. And then you also now are going to love with fear um, and we should all love with caution. We don't want to get hurt, but you're going to love with fear and suspicion and mm. it's just not a good position. Right. And so to pull yourself out of victim mode to say, OK, yes, that person blew this up what was my piece in this because you're 50% of any relationship. And although you didn't cheat on anyone, maybe you didn't express yourself. Maybe you, you know, went to like, maybe you loved kind of around the person or mm. maybe you didn't express your needs or how you wanted to be touched or whatever. But there is something because the, the dynamic of a relationship requires two people. Right? Yeah. yeah. And so what was your contribution? Even if it was just something small, because I think that's when you start to pull yourself out of victim mode and then, embrace it, accept it. And then you'll kind of realize, oh, maybe I dodged a bullet or it wasn't a good fit or whatever, you know?
0: Totally. And and with me, when I look back at, you know, one of my relationships, one thing that I can definitely say is, you know, I saw a lot of red flags and I did nothing mm, about it. Right. I just like, I right. chose to ignore it. I chose to ignore it. But in reality, I knew they were there and I excused every single one. And when it sp- fell apart in the way that it did, I could be like, oh, my God, I can't believe this happened. But really, I could believe it happened because I was yeah. seeing this pattern for a long time. I just didn't want to see it, so I didn't acknowledge it.
1: So that's taking ownership, mm. knowing that you ignored red flags. That's totally taking ownership yeah. for that, you know? Yeah. Because yeah. yeah. you played a part. You know what I'm saying? So pulls each other. Yeah.
0: When it comes to victim mode, I also feel that when you say I'm the victim, a true victim is I had no power. And this was done to me. So I was the victim of a car accident. I was the victim of whatever. So and but if you label everything as I'm the victim, then you're literally saying, I have no power, I have no power, I'm gonna sit in this powerless position. So then you're less likely to to say, I'm gonna take responsibility for my healing. I might not have been responsible for what was done to me, but I am responsible yeah. for what's gonna happen from here onwards.
1: Sure, what I've learned. Mm. What I've learned from that. And that's why I say examine the black box. I'm talking about the black box when planes go down. Yeah. And they examine the black box to see what happened. It's not about blame. It's about what did I learn about myself, about the relationship, how, how did this go down and what can I take away? Uh, so when I meet someone else who I feel like I deserve, I'm bringing more to the table because if not, then your inability to see red flags, for example, you're just going to roll over into the next relationship, you know?
0: Yeah, that's so true. When it comes to relationships, you are in a relationship now, yes? Yes. Do you feel like, because I love something that you said earlier in this episode where, or maybe it was in our episode, but you spoke about love not being enough. And I talk about that as well because- I think there's so much more for a successful relationship than just love. And I think a lot of people fall into the trap thinking, but we love each other, but there's so many dynamics within it that just don't work for both people and mm-hmm. they hold on and hold mm-hmm. on until just, we mm-hmm. can't go any further. So what do you think are some of the key components for a successful relationship or what what can be things that people can start to look for in the other person, whether it's questions they can ask them or whether it's behaviors that they should be looking for to help them know if they're compatible or not?
1: Yeah. So I'm in a relationship. I've uh, been with Vanessa for six years and she's also a therapist, which, awesome. <laughs> which can make it, make it also challenging, but also make it great. Yeah. I love that. And we're very different. We're very different, uh, different love languages, uh, different attachment styles, different everything. But I mean, not everything. Of course, we have we have uh, common you know values and you know, their common interests and mm-hmm. stuff. We're both therapists, um, but because of our differences, our ability to look at ourselves, um, and, and I think this is where most people because there's a lot of pointed fingers when it comes to relationship, yeah. right? So, what is the piece that you should look at? What is the piece that you should own? So, if two people are doing that, then. It flips the magnets back in that it doesn't matter how different you are, you are working on evolving, growing yourself mm. and the other person uh, too as well, which I think uh, produces a lot of relationship glue. And this is how you, I think you you build something. Most people in relationships are like, well, you need to change that. Mm-hmm. You need to do this. You know, and if you have two people pointing <laughs> fingers, then the relationship, I mean, the magnets flip the other way. Uh, and then of course there's anger, resentment, drift and all that. So looking at self... Because we're always growing, evolving, changing. I'm not who I was six years ago. Yeah. I mean, there's Vanessa, right? Mm. And then talking about the inner journey, talking about what's happening inside. So people aren't blindsided. Yeah. You know, you were blindsided.
0: Yeah, right? totally. Totally. And I think a lot of conversations, I think a lot of people might wait for an argument and then they'll just unleash everything that's on their mind. That's completely (laughs) irrelevant.
1: Yeah. But to be
0: able to have a conversation when things are fine Mm -hmm. about something that is playing on your mind, I think a lot of people think, oh, but we're good now. So this is just not a good time. But I think it's the best time because you're calm, you're happy with each other, you're nice to each other and it's, it is an opportunity yes. to talk about things.
1: We I, I don't think we're taught how to express our inner. I mean, no. um, I think it's, it's harder for Vanessa, but I think as we grow up, no one creates those spaces where we are like, well, how do you feel? What's mm. going on inside? Like, I don't think people hold those spaces. So then we become adults and we're trying to have these relationships and we're supposed to tell people how we feel. And it's a, it's a muscle we've never exercised. So it's very difficult, right? Yeah. I talk about this concept of loving with someone instead of around someone or at someone. Mm. So if you're loving at someone, you're controlling, you're grabbing, you want them to be someone they're not. If you're loving around someone you're not speaking up you're not telling people what you need you're just you know the whole eggshells if you're loving with someone then you are being vulnerable. Mm. You are having hard conversations. You are, like you are just saying, you are talking even when there isn't a problem. Yeah. You're sharing your inner journey, which can be terrifying, right? Yeah. And so when we have two people loving with each other instead of at each other or around each other, that to me creates legs of a relationship.
0: Yeah, totally. And I remember with with my partner, sometimes I'd raise things, We've both taught each other different things in the relationship, which is really cool. I've learnt a lot from him and vice versa. But one of the things is that I would raise things. And I think initially he'd be like, well, is something wrong? Like what's happened? And then I used to preface it with saying, I love where we're at and I want it to get better. So in order for it to get better, I just want to raise this thing that I'm feeling. And that's kind of how I would broach the conversation. And it was great Mm -hmm. because it'd come from a place of like, I'm here to better this. So hear me out. Maybe I want to hear your input. Instead of it, a lot of people, they'll be angry, they'll be annoyed. Well, Mm -hmm. I'm also annoyed because Mm -hmm. of this, and I'll just throw something new in there, which, you know.
1: Well, it's coming from we instead of you. Yeah. So I love how you frame that because you're saying – I want this, I want to build this, I care about us. Mm. Now here's a you know a concern or whatever. So you're saying we already mm. instead of going into something a lot of people I would to say a lot of people go into it, hey, you know what, I have a problem with this thing that you're doing. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's a you, you yeah. know that's a pointed finger.
0: Totally. And I think that that's that's and I've evolved. I wasn't like that in the past. I I could definitely say yeah. that I would have been more um, abrasive and proud in past relationships. Mm-hmm. And I think Mm -hmm. pride is such a killer of all kinds of relationships and and conversations as well. And that's something I've learned.
1: Oh yeah, for sure. Uh, I'm an Aries. I have uh, a big ego and lots of pride, and I'm very fiery. So those are not. I'm surrounded by Aries in my
0: life. I love. I'm a Taurus, but I love. How are you? So we're stubborn.
1: <laughs> so my partner's a Taurus and one really? of our things is we're both horn signs. Yeah, so there's yeah. a lot of this, you know. So if it wasn't for um, our training as a therapist and to be introspective and take ownership and stuff, like we'd just be two reactive animals bumping heads,
0: you know. 100%. So you yeah. you mentioned love languages. I love talking about love languages what can you teach the listeners about love languages? Because when you enter a relationship and you both have two different love languages, I think, I mean, I think it's in a way great actually, but how do sure. you cater to your partner's love language and then how do you ask for your love language yeah. to be? Yeah. You know?
1: um, and I love that you said ask for, uh, and there's a difference between asking for and demanding. Oh, right? You're not giving people ultimatums. Um, I think the most important part about love languages, uh, created by G- Gary Chapman, I believe, is uh, that you know and understand that both of you guys love to give and receive love in different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, so before I knew that Vanessa's love language was acts of service, because I'm I'm um, I'm all about um, uh, um, words of affirmation, mm-hmm. um, and, and we both overlap on touch, physical touch, um, but. If if I wrote her uh, a note, I always have this joke, like, if I wrote her name in disguise, she'd be like, how much did you pay for that? But <laughs> if I wrote her, like, love notes, because I used to just, you know, always gushy and, you know, I write, write books.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I mean, she, she might think it's cute, but it's very different than if I, like, did the dishes. Yeah. Or if I, if I brought dinner without asking her and gave her her favorite meal, yes. that would... For her, that would mean a lot more as far as oh, you love me and see me, understand me, than if I wrote a long poem, lovey-dovey poem about yeah. how we connect in the bedroom. She would be like, "Oh, this is cute." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, know? that's nice. And, and, <laughs> and, and also, I I have expected her to hit the ball back and then judged her if how she loves me is through service and not through words.
0: Do you yes. know what I'm saying? Yeah, that's that's, so. I could
1: ask, but I could all, I also have to know that how she's wired is different than how I'm wired. There has to be some, some, some understanding of that, you know?
0: You can't expect your partner to be a mind reader sometimes. Well, A, I think it's important to know what your own love language is. I think a lot of people maybe haven't really sat down and thought, what do I actually value the most? But B, then once they do know what that is, to communicate, it's okay. I think, oh, it's so romantic when someone just, you know, does something for you without you asking. But in, for a lot of the time, like you said, because they're different things, someone probably is doing that, but you don't see it because it's not what you deem to be the romantic gesture.
1: Yes. It's it's like you're putting weight on something uh, that's different and that may not be fair to the other person.
0: Totally. So what would you recommend for people that have extremely conflicting, well, like very, very different love languages? Do you think that yeah. it's kind of like a meet-in-the-middle thing? How would you navigate that?
1: You know, the the big word that comes to my mind is effort, you know, and it shouldn't be based on what I believe. It should be based on the individual. So, like, for example, Vanessa knows my love language is words of affirmation. So it shouldn't be based on what I demand or want. It should be based on her stretching herself and what's comfortable for Mm -hmm. her. So maybe that would look like, oh, I will, you know, text them a little more knowing that it means something. Or she actually says that she puts notifications reminding um, herself to to write something nice for me, right? So the effort, I think, is what's important, not the actual what they're doing. Because now we're talking about expectation. Now we're talking about, you know, because they're not meeting your expectations, Mm. you know, does that mean that they love you less? No, you know. Yeah. And it's hard. I mean, I'm guilty of expecting. I'm guilty of, you know, judging someone because it, they're not loving me the way that I would like them to love me.
0: Yeah. And I feel like with expectations in general, I think it can be pretty challenging in a relationship. And like you said, like, it, I think it all ties back. If you if you haven't looked at the black box, if you haven't done all of that, then you might have all these expectations of what you're used to. Some of them are probably yes. maybe unhealthy. And then you're layering that onto your new Partner, or when you start dating someone, this is
1: where we get into the uh, the comparison trap, mm. right? Um, and I'm again, I'm guilty of this comparing uh, who you're loving currently to previous love experiences, and saying, "Well, they loved me this way. Why can't you love me like that?" Yeah. But they are not them, and that's not fair to the partner.
0: No. One thing that I've that I've yeah. heard recently from some of my friends is they. Will look at someone new that they're dating. This is specifically with a couple of, like maybe two of my friends recently, where mm-hmm. they dated someone who it was it was quite a volatile relationship on both ends, just not not really healthy. It ended. Then they're dating someone who is really calm, really respectful, and they're like they're just so boring compared to my ex and i'm like is it boring or is right. it just not volatile <laughs> or <is it> healthy?
1: <laughs> right exactly sure and, and you know that's we, you know um i talk a lot about swimming past the breakers and i think there are phases in a relationship and after the honeymoon when you start to notice this is a real person and you know they leave their socks on the floor and they leave the toothpaste cap off and there's things that start to annoy you and you got to swim past all the activation that comes mm. up because a lot of people when when because we, we we trigger each other constantly Past that, sitting with that, working through that is where you start to build a relationship. If you react to that by bouncing and and blaming that on, you know, the chemistry is now gone, um, then you never get to see what's on the other side that can possibly be built, right?
0: Totally. I've just got two questions to kind of wrap up. One's a personal one and one is advice for the listeners. So the personal one was, when did you get to a point in your life? At what point did you get to a point where you Mm. felt... Like, and it didn't have to be that everything was complete, but you felt like Mm -hmm. I'm living kind of on purpose. I'm really living out what Mm. I'm supposed to be doing.
1: Uh, Last Tuesday. No, I'm just kidding. Um, (laughs) Great timing then. (laughs) Yeah, my divorce was 15 years ago. Um, You know what? I think, you know, I don't know if it came in a moment. It did. It actually came in a moment. You know what? I remember it because I was crying. Someone... Okay, so this is before webcams and before social media and before Zoom and all this. Email was big. Someone emailed me their situation and I had a lot of time on my hands. So I gave them like a three page response mm-hmm. on what, you know, some advice. They PayPal was brand new then. They PayPal'd me $20. I didn't ask for any money. Well. And I remember taking a camera because this, this is when we had flip phones and we didn't have cameras on our phones. Uh, and I was, and I recorded myself and I said, uh, if you don't make it about you, God will, mm-hmm. you know, God being universal and, you know, not a religious thing. And I remember that it wasn't obviously about the 20 bucks, but it was the first time that someone, that, that I felt that someone um, felt that I, I had value. Yeah. You yeah. know, and, in this case, you know, advice, but it someone believed that I was worth something. Oh, yeah. And that was, uh, I was in such a dark place in my life not having anything that that was that meant so much to me and uh, that's when things started tipping that's when i was like oh and then and then you know of course you know the korean businessman was like wait a minute you can make money off the internet (laughs) how can i how can i I get more clients yeah exactly um so a lot happened as far as my belief system and me feeling like i had some kind of worth or something to offer the world
0: And then, yeah, and then I I would imagine that that one moment, then it would have kind of cascaded. It would have been a bit of an avalanche after that.
1: Yes. Then I had the 92 octane. Then I was, you know, like you waking up at 5 a.m. and, you know, (laughs) doing content all that shit. I
0: love that. I love that. All right. And then the final, uh, it's a very broad question, kind of similar to the question you asked me on your episode, but what would be... If you could impart, and this doesn't have to be related to relationships, if you could impart one mm-hmm. piece of knowledge that you find really valuable well, to the yes. listeners, what would it be? Yes,
1: I already had the answer. Um, I'm going to get this tattooed. I, I, I use tattoos as bookmarks, and I'm all over my body. Um, and it's one sentence, and it's helped me tremendously, and is that all parts of your story will be used.
0: Mm. So mm-hmm.
1: it doesn't matter what you're going through. Even if your life is good or bad or whatever, all parts of your story will be used. And I always remind myself of that um, when, you know, things aren't happening or if I'm, you know, or if I'm, I don't know, going through hardship. Yeah. Uh, that that it, it it that chapter itself is just as valuable as when you're you know having a great life
0: totally and also i think for a lot of people when something doesn't work out they might look at it and be like what a waste i just wasted all this time yes. it's never
1: a yes. waste yes a lot of they think about that relationships you know i sh- yeah. i want to rip that cha- chapter out but it was actually a very important i mean think about it from a story perspective what story without the hardship makes a great story then what's the you go you go nowhere the story's flat there's yeah. no character arc you know that's
0: so true yeah that's so yeah. true and you can use yeah. all these parts even the yeah even the unfair things everything can be used in some way
1: yes they will be used they will, they will be. be used um yeah
0: Thank you so much. Okay, before you leave, could you please tell mm-hmm. the listeners the titles of your books? You've written six books, I think.
1: Uh, six books. Six I think books. Yeah, I'm on my sixth book. Insane. Uh, yeah. That's
0: amazing. So please tell us about your books. Tell us where to find you. Your handle's everything.
1: Yeah, I'll just say um, my handle, uh, The Angry Therapist, across the board, and then uh, the the book that really was uh, very popular is called Single on Purpose. Um, I'm not going to – I don't want to say all the books. It's. It sounds kind of airy, <laughs> <laughs> giving you my resume. Single on Purpose. But, um, I love it. Singing on Purpose and I Used to Be a Miserable Fuck. Those were kind of my two-day books. Wait,
0: there's a book called I Used to Be a Miserable Fuck?
1: Yes. That's so good. (laughs) I have to read that. (laughs) I can't wait to read that.
0: That's so good. Thank you so much for your time. That was a great conversation. I really enjoyed that and I know the listeners would have
1: Thank you for having me. Thank you. Thank you. Be well.
0: Listener.